this is Kevin Burke, and you're listening to the Ireland Podcast. Hello, who are you and what do you do? Well, my name is Andy Irvine, and I'm a, uh, a musician who sings uh, traditional songs um, and also a uh, what they call a singer-songwriter, although I don't, don't, I don't care for that phrase because it puts me in with a whole bunch of, bunch of people that I'm not very keen on, but... But that's what I do. Dare I say it, Phil Coulter didn't like that phrase either. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> he actually said that. He doesn't like singer-songwriter. You're either one or the other. Well, we have that in common. So anyway. <laughs> you were saying off mic that um, you have no ill grudge about him. No, I, you know... Um, I, I've, had my, I've had my bad moments with Phil... I mean, I remember he arrived in a brand new uh, posh car years and years ago when we, when we were kind of uh, recording it with Planksty. And I, I, um, I don't know what, what the conversation was, was about, but I got really angry and kind of put my fist uh, through one of the, uh, a, a portion of the car, uh, which is renowned, it's, it's like folk history in, in kind of... Uh, People like Christie and Donald would remember that with with uh, enjoyment. <laughs> but uh, no, as I was telling you earlier, I'm not not really a grudge um, holding person, and uh, and I actually like Phil Coulter. I mean, I whatever problems we had with him, uh, which are largely due to his partnership with. Uh, whatever the other guy's name was. Martin, Bill yeah, Martin. Bill, yeah, Martin. I don't think I ever met him. But they were like good good cop, bad cop, like, you know, and uh, Phil was a good cop. And and maybe maybe he suckered me into into appreciating. But, I, 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 yeah, I like the guy, yeah. And do you think that if you didn't get signed, because he, just to update people who don't know, um, he was the guy who got Planksy signed and the deal was as I think Christy said lousy or shit he said <laughs> was the word that he said do you think that if that deal didn't happen you would have got signed somewhere else I have no idea I've never given it a thought hmm. but I do I do remember um like Des Kelly uh who is a, um the bass player and 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 the leader of the Capital Show Band mm-hmm and who had been the manager of Sweeney's Men before, uh, when I, I think the lads all agreed that I should ask him if he'd like to manage Planksty, and he, he said, oh, he said 200% like to do it. So he, he, he was a really good guy, Des. I'm, I'm sorry he's gone, but uh, he arrived at my house um, in Dublin, and he said... We've got a deal, he said, with Polydor. Guess how much for? And I said, oh, Des, I don't know. I can't guess things like that. He said, go on, go on, guess, guess. So I, I'm not sure what figure I said, but it wasn't as much as uh, he said, no, he said, £6,000. And that was, that was a lot of money in 1972. And uh, I think the salary was about 20 quid a week, was it? Probably, yeah, yeah. But as it turned out, that was for six albums, and it wasn't for Polydor at all. It was for, for Coulter Martin, mm. uh, who had the deal with Polydor. 
And uh, did you read the small print? Did you read that this was six albums? No, I I, I learned that somehow quite early on. Okay. And it was for six albums in three years. You know, two wow. albums a year. We couldn't possibly have done that. Yeah. Um. And of course, in those days, and I'm not sure if it's still the same. But if you have a contract with uh, with somebody to make records, um, you pay the cost of the recording studio. So. That was basically a thousand pounds per album, and uh, the recording studios were probably all of that. I don't remember ever getting any money from the. the uh, so you broke even just on recording alone. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, um, yes. It all turned out to have you know from the from the joy and excitement of of Des and telling me all this. It all turned out to be a little bit disappointing financially. Yeah. However, it did launch your career. Yes, it did. And I, I, that's, it tends to be forgotten, I think, by, by, the, by us, uh, members of Planksty. I think that they did take a chance, like, you know, that, uh, that it would come good. And, and it did come good. It came, it came good instantly. It was, it was kind of overnight success. So I, I recorded Phil and asked him about that period and um, he said that because he was interested that they were, the record companies were then interested. And he said, had Phil not had been interested in you guys and the record companies wouldn't have taken notice. Is there an element of truth in that, do you think? What, would you say that again? That, that, that because if he, if he hadn't taken an interest, yes, the record companies would not yes. have taken an interest. That's probably true. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't leave a, lose an awful lot of sleep on yeah. this this whole subject. I have mm-hmm. to say, um, I wasn't as enraged about the situation as it developed as as um, as some of the others in the band. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, the success, the overnight success, and 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 the the, the instant kind of fame, yeah, was was very exciting, and uh, that's what I concentrated on at the time. Uh, so that first gig in the hangar in, here in Galway, that's a famous gig for you because you were so used to playing um, with those show bands and you're saying that the amps were set and you couldn't adjust them. So you're roaring into a microphone just to be heard and then there's no monitors. So it's just boomy and sounds awful. Mm. And then you said that you had to exit. Uh, there's only, there's only one entrance and exit. (laughs) So you have to walk through that that walk of shame afterwards. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, you know, we, yeah, we played kind of, we only played for about 20 minutes or half an hour. Mm. But it was, it was the the the, uh, the period in in the dance hall where uh, people were not dancing and not listening. Mm. Most of them. There was a few up front who'd be interested, but it was very difficult to perform correctly with with just two microphones and uh, one of them on volume ten and one of them on, on volume naught. Yeah, for the brass that you were saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Um, Yes, it, it, we did it. We did it for the money. Mm. Um, but it's interesting that whenever you did the hangar gig, you thought there was a fight breaking out. Well, because, I had is seen that because that. is that because you yeah you'd yeah, seen, I'd it seen it in, in, in dance in halls? Yeah. So here you were playing. Oh, they're getting rowdy. Yeah, and, they and were it, going. They were, yeah, and I was looking for kind of where where was the the, 
the, the central point where the, where the row had started, and I couldn't see it. And then I turned to the others, and uh, they had smiles on their faces. Like, you were it? That high. Like, you were the centre point. You were the centre point. You're looking for the centre point where the fight was breaking out, but the, the, you were the centre point. They were looking at you and go, yeah. Well, they, no, they weren't looking at me. They were looking at, at the uh, band, at, at the audience. Hmm. The band was looking at the audience. No, I'm talking about the audience is looking at you. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I, um, I don't remember too well now, but I, hmm. yes, it, it, it was the, the main point was I thought it was a row had broken out, uh-huh. and instead it was an ecstatic joy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I watched the documentary during the week, and somebody mentioned it could have been yourself, where, where it felt like Ireland didn't have this, and it was almost like the audience were getting what they didn't know that they wanted. Yeah, yeah. Well, for many years after that, we, we, when we were asked, uh, why do you think you're such an instant success? We couldn't answer it. I remember, I remember talking to Liam and he said, I don't know, I have no idea. But I, from getting um, a lot of fan mail in the last 20 years, I, I think that's right. I think, I think they suddenly realized that, that uh, this was an Irish phenomenon and, uh, and they were part of it, like... Mm-hmm. And can I ask, I had a question, which was tradition versus traditional. So before you guys came along, the tradition was that vocal songs were sung a cappella, no, without instrumentation. Mm-hmm. And then here you were bringing your instruments. And can you explain a little bit about that first? And then I've got a further question about that. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I mean, much as we liked, much as we 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 loved the tradition, and we loved uh, great singers who sang without any accompaniment, we loved that. But we had we had all learned to play uh, instruments, and I think probably there was a certain amount of um, um, uh, harking to, to the the, uh, the British folk scene. Where the people like like Martin Carthy uh, performed traditional songs while playing the guitar, so it wasn't it, we were not the first to do that. There was no kind of innovation really uh, on our part of um, accompanied singing. But I, I think the, the connection was that really the the uh, the, the strings and and the Ellen pipes. You know, I think. Uh, I'm still not totally sure why the audience was was so over overcome, but uh, yeah. So it was two bazookies, one guitar, own pipes. Yeah, and the melody no, was. No, most... I played the mandolin at the at the time. Okay, yeah, so I... it was mandolin and bazooki, yeah, which we'd had in Sweeney's Men before that, and, right. and it had been a, a, a well. A, at the time, it wasn't particularly uh, recognised, but later it was recognised as being a, a sound that um, that made Sweeney's man who they were. Mm-hmm. And the bazooki, Johnny Moynihan brought it in. And, I mean, it's such an interesting... My friend Sean Oak, he's a great friend of mine. He's in Korea. And he was always laughing about how, you know, before... Planksty before whatever, um, there was no bazooki. And then after Planksty, there's no band without a bazooki, you know. So 
Johnny brought it in. However, you did your trip around the Balkans. So just explain about the chronology of all that. Well, my in my memory, and I trust my memory on this, um, Johnny Johnny turned up at the Enda Hotel, in, which was in Dominic Street. It's not there anymore. Where Joe Dolan, Galway Joe Dolan, and myself were were hired for the summer to to play every night. And uh, Johnny had a Johnny was a draftsman. He never actually got got his uh, degree in in uh, architect. Not, didn't didn't become an architect as such, but. But he was working in, a, in an office in Roscommon, and he'd come down for the weekend. And he came down one weekend with this Greek bazooki. And I, my memory of it is that we didn't like it. You know? <laughs> like Dolan and myself said, ah, for God's sake, Johnny, put that down and play the mandolin. Uh, but he persevered, and very shortly after that, he, was, he, he got wind of the fact that there was a flat-back uh, bazooki-type instrument What's the, what's the advantage of a flat back versus a round back? Well, the flat back is much easier to hold. You know, like a, a round back slipping uh, off. It yeah. tends to kind of you tend it tends to be kind of facing up to the ceiling eventually, and you're yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, so that was the, that was the reason for the the flat back. And this man whose name I'm not going to remember um, had made this, and the rumor much later. Uh, was that he'd made it for for John Pierce, who is a guitar player who uh, later became more famous for making strings and things like that. Uh, but John Pierce never they never arrived to pick it up, and so after a couple of years or whatever it was, uh, it was still there. And and uh, Johnny heard about this and he flew to London, bought it instantly, and uh, and that was the beginning of the Irish bazooki. Wow. <laughs> And even the flying is very extravagant to, to have done that. And how did he accrue that kind of? Oh, well, he may not have flown. I okay. don't know. He may have got the ferry. I'm not sure. Yeah. But, uh, but that was the next the next instant. Yeah. Like um, we only saw the Greek bazooki for about uh, a week, mm-hmm. and after that, it was this new new object <clears throat> with a very very narrow neck. Yeah. So actually, putting putting eight strings on it, it was very hard to play. And how did you find the strings? Well, well, that was the thing too. I mean, we had no idea how to tune the, uh, how the Greeks tuned the bazooka. We did not know that, uh-huh. and uh, so the obvious thing to do really was to tune it uh, an octave below a, a mandolin, and that that was the original tuning that he used. Later, we developed the fact that if you tuned the top string down a tone, uh, you. You didn't really have to. You didn't always have to be be um, fretting it. If it, like G D A D, that D at the top could be it came it came into to so many other chords. It coloured, it coloured chords in, in G and D, even in C and A minor and things like that. And uh, uh, if you'd had a G D A E, that E at the top would have you'd have to do something about that nearly every every. Uh, chord you played mm-hmm. so um and how, how did you get the strings well I, I think the same as we do to this day just by guitar strings right mm. okay okay well i mean they do make bazooki strings especially for the irish bazooki now but yeah but they're not quite the right gauge for me so i i, I just if i buy a set of uh elixir 
light strings. Uh, the 42 is the bottom string. The 32 is the third string. Um, I don't use an unwound second string, so I have to actually buy um, wound 18s, Daddario wound 18s. Uh, but then in the set also, there, there, there are 24s and 16s, which, which go on the mandola. And uh, the top string on the bazooki would be a 12. So five of the six strings you buy in a set are useful to me. And if anybody out there wants to buy uh, hundreds and hundreds of 53s, I've got them. <laughs> and how often do you change your strings? Well, not that often. Not as often as, uh, for instance, Paul Brady. But uh, Why is that? What's his re- frequency? Uh, well, I'm not... I'm, Paul... Just Paul, Paul recognises when a set of strings are uh, not as good as they were when, when, when they were new. But I'm not sure, like, like uh, some people would, 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 would sweat uh, or their fingers would, would uh, get sweaty or something. Yeah, some people sweat and their fingers would get clammy yeah. and you'd have to change yes, them. Yes, I'm not sure if Paul is one of those, but he, you know, like... Uh, some people have to change the strings more than others, mm. and, and I, 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 I have a fairly light touch, and I don't uh, get sweaty fingers. So I, I, you know, sometimes, especially with elixir strings, which are which are, um, <clears throat> what's the word? Um, Long knife. No, I, something taminated. What, what would that? Not contaminated, but uh, um, well, well, they're coated, aren't they? In some well, they, they, they are. They have some the sub, substance in the making of them that makes them last a lot longer than yeah. the normal strings. And very sometimes, like I think, well, I haven't, I haven't changed the strings on this bazooki for quite a while. I better, I'd change them now. And the sound of the new strings is really not much different to the sound of the old strings that are just taken off. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I don't feel I have to change my strings that often. Yeah. I was a music teacher. I used to change them one, once a year. Oh, you know, yeah. And um, I, I opted twice a year whenever I found, whenever I got better at my job, I guess. <laughs> I had a bit more time to, to do that. But changing strings can be a, Do you have one of those drill things? Have you ever seen those? Oh yes, no, I don't, no, I don't. I, I, I do have the the uh, winder. Yeah, but I do it by hand. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've seen people do it with a drill. I've lately. got a drill. I was I changed the strings last night. So. Oh yeah. Um, so what I wanted to talk about then was about Sean O'Reilly. So I have a question. I actually wrote a question down. Can you believe that? That's very rare for me. Where is that question that I wrote down? Explain the influence of Sean O'Reilly, because you learned the Exiles jig from the Kjolturi Kulin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you ever meet Sean O'Reilly? No, I didn't. So, can, not to my memory, anyway. Can you explain the influence that Sean O'Reilly had, and what impact did he have in Ireland Irish music uh, b- before and after his existence? Well. You know, before before uh, Sean O'Reilly, the musicians would usually play solo. Sometimes they might meet and play together, uh, as in sessions or something like that. You know, but 
Uh, Sean O'Reilly actually assembled um, a number of, of extraordinarily good uh, traditional musicians. Paddy Maloney being one of them. Yeah, well, um, yeah. Hmm. And, uh, and kind of arranged the music, which had not been done before. And, I mean, I think Sean O'Reilly is really important in the, in the, the history of Irish music. But um, because he died, he died a long time ago now. And uh, but, but Paddy Maloney was was uh, was very much continued on uh, Sean O'Reilly's um, ideas, and and uh, and the chieftains, of course, were were huge. I, I think they're still playing, aren't they? I think so. Yeah. Without yeah. Paddy Maloney, it's yeah. quite hard to believe. But yeah, uh, I saw them in the Albert Hall with Paddy. It was fantastic. Yeah, they had yeah. all the dancers. Yeah, and then everybody in the audience wanted that. Not everybody just joined this big long line. It's like really? the conga. Yeah, but it was like a Scottish dance. It was like hands down and then hands up, and you oh. know, just walking sideways, dancing along sideways. And who who taught them this? Well, they had these dancers, okay. like okay. a troupe yeah. who came up, and then they this started is in the line. Albert Hall. Yeah, good lord, the Royal Albert yeah, Hall. Yeah. And what year was this? Probably about early teens. You know, mm-hmm. like. 2012, maybe. Well, Paddy was Paddy was good at instigating things that made them uh, that increased their popularity. Yeah, you know, he was like some of us would look on and think it was a big stroke. But uh, what what do you mean by stroke? Uh, a stroke. Um, Trying to look a, a, a kind of cheap, a cheapish idea. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. So that's what you meant by strokey, because I was watching an interview with uh, Paddy Paddy Glasgow. Oh, yeah. Which is a great interview. I I suggest everybody go to uh, glasgowbury.com and check it out. (laughs) And uh, I love Paddy Glasgow. Yes. I love him. I I think what he's doing up in South Derry, where I'm from, is fantastic, you know, because there was a spate of suicides happening and he recognised that if you don't kick a ball and if you don't bat a hurley bat, there's nothing for you here. And he started this Glasgowbury, mm. you know, which was a festival and then turned into workshops and now it's all manners of stuff. You Fantastic, know. Yeah. And it's a wee pocket, a wee island in the north of, Ar- north of Ireland or whatever you want to call it. And it's where people can go where they don't fit in Mm. don't fit in the mold generally but yeah you mentioned strokey in that interview with paddy it was a bit strokey so was that what you meant that it was a bit showy offy yes it was i mean it 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 was really popular a lot lot of what paddy did uh like playing with 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 um van morrison things like that Mm. you know were, were were uh, not something, for instance, that Planksty would ever have uh, considered, mm-hmm. but it came off. Yeah, and uh, so you know, full full marks. So I, I I always liked Paddy as a person. I met him. I didn't meet him for uh, probably about twenty twenty years. Yeah. Um, after after the beginning of Planksty, uh, and then I met him in a supermarket, uh, uh, probably about five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the smile that, that he gave me as we encountered each other, and he said, Andy, how nice to see you. And I thought, that's really nice. That's really nice, you know, because um, a lot of people wouldn't 
probably have uh, remembered me. And, uh, and I was, yeah, I was, I was much taken with that. And I, he, we had a nice conversation and I, and I thought, I really, I like this guy. Yeah. Mm. How long did that chat last? I can just see you just stand there 20 minutes and, you, you're, you know, your ice cream is melting in the back or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting that he said there that, that he tried things out. He ended up playing with Frank Zappa. I find that amazing. Yes, you know? absolutely, absolutely. I, I don't think that's come to light, that music. Maybe it has on YouTube I, now. I didn't know that. I didn't know that yeah, myself. But, uh, yeah, Zappa. You know, yeah. so whereas you in your career, I mean, as listened to your catalogue this week, I heard a soprano saxophone in there, you know, and but you still kept it very much the troubadour fashion, the acoustic and not going much beyond that. And I guess that's it's almost like the tradition and traditional sense that's coming to my mind now, because if you listen to Planksty now, you could walk into a session and hear a lot, a lot of that catalogue and a lot of the actual arrangements in terms of the chords and so on. Mm-hmm. So what's happened with you that you've stuck in this, this groove that you haven't ventured out of it too much? Or do you feel that you have? Well, I do feel I have over my long career. I mean, I've kind of uh, become... Uh, Became interested in in Bulgarian music and and uh, and probably was responsible for for um, for bringing to the notice of other musicians the time signatures that uh, yeah, Bulgarian that's music for sure. is often played in. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm thinking more in terms of instrumentation uh, arrangement. You know, like there's no synths on there. You know, I don't see drum kits in your catalogue. No. no. No, I, I, it's a style of music that we we developed, um, and I, you know I think I think it has kind of uh, changed over the years, but but not not uh, imperceptibly, and and not uh, for any cause. Just it just developed, and um, and that's basically where I am. You know, I. I if, if I if I write a song or if I get a, 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 a traditional song, I'll sit down and I'll figure out uh, by trial and error uh, what what chords and and how the chords connect and everything like that. And 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 I do have this facility to uh, to play one thing and sing another. Um, and I think that all comes from being a, an only child and a, a, a slightly uh, lonely. Although I wasn't aware of it. I was never lonely, in fact, because I was uh, uh, self, um, whatever the word would be, I, I, I was... Uh, Entertain yourself. I, can't, I lie down on this couch, doctor. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't quite think how to say it, but... Um, You're reminding me now of Kevin Burke. Oh. Kevin Burke, uh, he was an only child for a long period, and then his younger brother came along later. But he talks about how he was—he had to make do with entertaining himself, which, That's right, I, which yeah. I, I think yeah. is what you're saying yeah, that's here. What, yeah, yeah. I was—I was self. Um, I can't think what what the word is. Were, were you entertain yourself? You make your own entertainment. 
Yeah. And self-sufficient. And, yeah, and, self-sufficient. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the word I'm looking for. Um, so in order to play music, rather than play music with other people when I was uh, uh, younger, um, I would try and play one thing and sing another. Uh, and that was like two people. Mm. Uh, you know, it was like a, a duo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, so you're talking about like a, almost like a very big harmony to what you're singing. Yeah, the, yeah. the accompaniment is, is is much more structured and architected than than most people would would uh, mm. would would bother with or whatever. But uh, that's that's what I that's what I, I developed and and I and I still do that. So if I if I if I found a a, a song which I hadn't uh, sung before, I'd sit down and and the hours would pass. And they would never be remembered. Like it was like going into hyperspace or something. And after six or seven hours, I would have this um, this full accompaniment to the song, and I would sit there and play it and play it and play it and play it and pretend I was playing it in Carnegie Hall, and and then I make a mistake in it and and start again and think, well, okay, not Carnegie Hall, the Albert <laughs> Hall. We'll be in the Albert Hall this time. <laughs> That's hilarious. I remember I was in Carnegie, not in Carnegie Hall. I went to America many years ago, and we walked there in the snow. And we, you know, we were broke. We, you know, we were like trying out musicians. I remember we just touched the wall, and the outside <laughs> we went, "We've been to Carnegie yeah, Hall." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> great, great, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So, um, yeah, Kevinberg again. Going back to this conversation, where he felt that the whole house could burn down. And he would still need to finish that part of that arrangement for himself to satisfy himself. Yes. Do you feel, he's, he talked about, he said it was important. It was so important to him. Is it, do you feel that? I feel exactly the same as that. I feel uh, the self-satisfaction of, of entertaining myself is the main cause for why I'm a, a professional musician. Mm-hmm. You know, I... I I could easily have have not had the success that I have had, uh, and I wouldn't re- probably wouldn't have minded that. Well, I would have minded on a, on a number of accounts, like uh, living, for instance. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, the, the actual the actual playing of and singing of a song the way I want to do it uh, is is ninety eight percent of my so- my satisfaction. Yeah. What would you have been if you hadn't have been a musician? Well, a good good question because you know I was an actor. I was a child. I actor. know. I, I have it in my notes here because you were. We haven't even started the the, the interview. By the way, <laughs> the interview starts because you were born in 1942, uh, 14th of June, St John's Wood, and then you went to acting school 1946. No, I didn't. I, know. Go, I didn't go to any acting school ever. It was the boarding school. I'm calling it acting school. Oh, okay. No, yeah, yeah. I went to boarding school. and a half. Three and a half, yeah. That's unreal. I know. Yeah. And I never did uh, get a satisfactory answer from Your parents. my parents as to why they'd, they'd done that. Mm. I think... Yeah, that, but you asked them that question. No, I don't think I did. Uh, my mother died when I was 17, and, mm. and I didn't really get on that well with my father. Mm. And I, I suspect, you know, there was... It's a natural thing that sometimes a father will uh, treat his son in the same way as he was treated by his father. Yeah. 
for for good or evil, like you know. And my father was sent to to boarding school at a very young age, and uh, he sent me to a, to a boarding school at a very young age. And, well, and so my uncle was sent to boarding school, mm-hmm. and he ended up having a very successful career. And I think that I'm going to ask this question: Your father was his career satisfactory to him? Do you think? I don't think it was. I, I, I never got a feeling that, like my father was a chartered accountant and he was in the same company for about 40 years or even longer. But a very comfortable life. Well, you know, he never mentioned, he never said a word about his working life. Hmm. He'd go out at uh, half past eight in the morning and he'd come home at uh, six o'clock in the evening and nothing was ever said about what he'd what he did during the hours that he was uh, in in his office. But wasn't that the the style back then? It might have been. It might have been. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's horrible being in two thousand twenty four and having that power of recall. I remember that same uncle I was telling you about him, and um, he he was saying that we never had this where you sat and you talked to your father. You know, like we, me and my uncle got on really well, and he says. I was asking about my grandfather because I never met my grandfather. Mm. And then he says, you know, we didn't have these conversations. It just wasn't done. Mm. So, Well, that could be the case. I think my father had a problem with his, his father right. in the same way as I had a problem with him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, 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 would, he would give me nothing uh, in terms of his history. If I asked him uh, anything about, like, your father and your mother, he'd say, oh, I don't know, it was a, bit, it was a long time ago. And he'd brush, brush you off like that. And, then, and I found out more about his background in about 10 minutes with, with a, a cousin who was good at, uh, at, at uh, um, looking up people's histories and things like that. I found out more in about 10 minutes about his background than he ever told me. Wow. Yeah, it feels relevant that I mention this. Um, I never met my grandfathers, and what I've done is I have interviewed my mother and, and my father uh, for the benefit of my children. That's brilliant. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, uh, I video interviewed them, and now my mother's passed on. Mm. Someday my kids will say, you know, what was Granny like? Uh, exactly. Well, I, I, I'm doing the same. Like my my grandparents, um, only one of them existed my birth uh, and at my birth and uh, and I think my birth probably saw him off because he didn't last much longer after I was born. But I I've been writing my uh, autobiography for the last mm, twenty years, you know, and it's it's still kind of only got only up to about nineteen eighty one. Yeah. But I, my main reason for doing it is to give it to my kids so that unlike uh, me and, and my father's history, they will, they will know a lot more about me after I'm gone. Like. Mm. Yeah, we all try and right the wrongs of our parents, you know. And, um, and this is something I actually provide as a service. Is I, I actually interview older people about their life stories as a present for their future generations. Great, that's great, I, that's brilliant. I think you've got a particular situation because your autobiography personal your family one is going to be very different to your professional one so are you doing both or are you doing one thinking about your children or are you thinking about anybody like a fan who's interested i think i'm i think i'm just uh, 
you know, I'm I'm quite I'm quite a good I'm quite good at writing. I'm quite I'm quite uh, I I didn't go to I, I left school or real school at, when I was thirteen, but I obviously had a good education up until that that time. So I'm quite I'm quite good at uh, as a writer, and I, I I'm more or less just telling the story as as I remember it. So you it's don't not, see any need to censor part of it for public. No, well, no, except there, because unfortunately there are always things that you cannot say. Mm. And uh, it did occur to me that it might be a good idea to write one one book for for now and one book for after I'm dead. And, uh, yeah. and actually, uh, I was talking to somebody and they said, ah, that's a great idea. They said the second book could be called Actually. <laughs> <laughs> What's the first book called? I, I'm not sure I have a title for Well, here. Story. How would that? What? Well, here. <laughs> well, here. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And then actually. <laughs> call it perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> so to drag you back to the music and to drag you back to Planksty and even Sweeney's Men, how did you arrange your music? Well, I think whoever was... Um, was singing the song or playing the tune in Liam's case. Um, I mean, for me, for instance, I, I very early on in Planksty, I had a number of songs like, like for instance, the, the Jolly Beggar, you know, uh, which I didn't, I didn't really work out an accompaniment for it. I think I just played the tune more or less. Um, and Donald, Donald was the guy who kind of, in the very early days, Donald was the one who, who, who kind of um, stuck it all together. Uh, but I had an experience then in, in, in Galway, actually, in County Galway, where I brought my instrument down for the weekend. And when I was asked to play, I couldn't really, I couldn't play anything uh, that sounded kind of uh, solo good solo stuff. So at that point, I thought, right, okay, well, that's it. I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm going to, next time I go to rehearsal, I'm going to know what I'm playing. I'm going to work that out for myself and everybody else can kind of, uh, that will be the structure that Donald will work with. And uh, and, I, and that's that's the way it was for me. Like, uh, and I think probably Christy as well, like Christy, uh, Christy would work out what chords to play for what song he was going to sing, and and that would be the the, the structure that we would work on after that, and uh, and and accompanying Liam, um, <clears throat> I I I really wasn't uh, I wasn't that adept at that. Donald was Donald uh, could do it just straight off, like, which was good because Liam very often in the studio would not decide what he was going to play until the very last moment. And that was much too late for me to, to work out anything. And, uh, but Donald could, could, could do it almost instantly. And why was that? Was it because Liam hadn't worked it out to his satisfaction or what was that? Well, there may have been many reasons, you know. I mean, he, he, was, he would have been much more aware of the tradition and, and his place in it than we were um, about our places in, in, in tradition. Uh, so there may have been, he may have had reasons for, for that. He, he, he never divulged why it was, but it, it, it could be a bit frustrating, like, you know, and uh, 
he'd say, yeah, okay, yeah, I think I'll play that, and then I'll play that, and then I'll go into that. And then the next time you asked him what he was going to play, he, he never mentioned those three tunes again. And uh, But, uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I was never quite sure about that, why, why he was... I mean, it may just have been that there were so many possibilities, so yeah. many tunes that he could play, that he he just didn't make up his mind until the last minute. I don't know. And it could be the vibe thing, you know. Hot House Flowers. I I just found out recently that they don't write a set list. You know, Liam he farts around on the keyboard or whatever, um, whatever he's using, and it's almost like a vehicle to get to that landing spot where they want to play that next song and that song will present itself. And, yeah, it's interesting, I, in that interview with Paddy Glasgow, you mentioned that you only have about brain space, this is your quote, for about 30 songs, mm. you know, yeah. and I find that fascinating because I think I share <laughs> that, that finite amount of brain space as well. So... You, would you write a set list out and that would be the same set list for the tour or would it change from gig to gig? No, it, my set list doesn't change uh, as much as, as it could do. Um, like it, it, it nearly always has, has uh, points in it that don't change. You know, like um, what? Like the planes, the planes that killed air. Or stew ball and the Monaghan grey mare, as I call it now. Um, that's nearly always in the set list and has been for the last God knows how long. And, and the blacksmith and the tune after it, uh, I'm inclined to finish with nearly nearly every every gig. But uh, other other there are other tunes that 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 come and go. The trouble the whole trouble is that um, if a tune goes. You know, after about six months or nine months, you can't remember how to play it. So, so it's gone from the set, and uh, and you have to if you, you you have to spend time relearning it. I, I do that all the time. I'm just uh, I, I um, yeah. I used to do a, an Australian song called Morton Bay, which was which I liked very much, and for some reason it dropped out of out of my my set lists, and I've just relearned it. Uh, which I'm really happy about because looking for recordings of it, I couldn't find a recording where I could hear my bazooki well enough to, uh, to, to copy what I'd, what I'd played at the time. And then I remembered that uh, an album I made uh, with, with um, my good friend Rance van der Zaun, uh, Paratilna, I had the data for it. What so do you the, mean the data? Well, I had the actual... Uh, all the, the all, all the separate recording. Okay, so yeah. I, so your bazooki track recorded yeah, I had a bazooki myself. track with no vocal and right. no rinse on it. Because that, that was my question: is it's surprising to hear that you don't have that? You know, for the other well, I, exactly. I mean, I, really, I should I should I should record every song and even video. I was about because, to say video. Yeah, yeah I yeah. mean, sometimes you, you you have a video of of, of yourself doing something. Yeah, and uh, and you look at it and you think, oh. <laughs> okay, I played something up here. What's that called? You know, yeah. and yeah, and then you can play them at quarter speed as well. If you yeah, need to. of course, yes. Yeah. I mean, without without uh, that app, yeah, um, 
what's it called? God, what's it called? Uh, well, YouTube had done the amazing, the amazing, the amazing slowdowner. I think right. it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can listen to, you can hear it in the, without without the key changing yeah. at, at any speed you wish. You know, uh-huh. um, which is really it's an essential for me. And you've talked in the past about Christie being the engine room and um, Paul Brady being the engine room. Explain what the engine room is. Well, it, it, not Christie's quite so much as Donal. Donal, yeah. okay. Donal's uh, bazooki what, playing was... What, what is the engine room? Well, it, it, it was the kind of... Um, <clears throat> it was the energy with which he played. The driving uh, force of it. Yes, uh, exactly, a driving force. Right. And when he left and, and uh, Johnny Moynihan jo- joined, Johnny Johnny was not an engine room player. He was much more like me. He was a kind of touch player. Yeah. And uh, but when Paul Brady came into the band, he was he was an engine room mm-hmm. uh, player as well. So we, we got the engine room back when when Paul came into the band. And do you find that playing with the legs, somebody's louder, that you need to? How do you manage all of that? Because there could be one issue of being too loud, uh, another issue being tempo change, or was the tempo always uh, pretty consistent with those guys? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, but the, uh, how did you manage that? Well, I, I'm a very, qui- I'm a very quiet player. You yeah, know? It, it, it's a, it, it's a, a fault really of mine. I just, I'm, I'm not, I don't play very loudly, and and Donald plays about twice as loudly as I do. So when we're, when we're a duo, the sound man has to has to be told and has to know that this is the case and that very often I'm playing the actual lead uh, and um, yeah, and, uh, I have lots of recordings of me and Donald where you can't hear me at all like you know I'm way in the background and, and Donald is striding out the front there. So it's all in the monitor feedback I guess for you to that's very important for you yeah, to... Yeah, yeah. I, neither Donald actually Donald doesn't, doesn't usually um have himself in his monitor even yeah. and uh if i have him in my monitor i only have him a tiny bit right yeah. uh, because yeah we have to to, to balance it in, mm-hmm. the, in the monitor yeah i'm interested in how you changed your plectrum technique during covid oh did you hear about that i you mentioned it in paddy's interview again oh. but you didn't say you didn't say what the detail was so you just said you changed it but i was like Whoa, 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 hi, from what well, to in, what? In, <clears throat> during COVID, I had, had a really, had a really a difficult time. I used to practice every day and I just got worse and worse. And Is that because of COVID? Well, it was in the COVID period. But, but, it, but you, yeah. weren't, you, weren't, you weren't like, a, you know, inhibited by no, your... No, there was nothing wrong with, with me, but, uh, but there, was, there, was no, there were no live gigs or anything. And, uh, and I, wasn't, I really wasn't good at the... Uh, at the streaming stuff at all. Mm. Uh, so he, why did you get worse and worse? I, well, I, I don't know, really. Um, but I made the decision uh, in desperation to, to not use the famous green plectrum that I had uh, always used to, to, to play with the lighter one. So explain the, what the gauge of this green one is. Well, yeah, the plectrums are made in different gauges, and and the green, the the the, the um, I forget who I think Dunlop makes my the plectrums I use, and and the green ones are are fairly heavy. I so over one mil. 
Huh? Over one mil? Oh, I have no idea about okay. the thickness of it. But I decided to use a slightly lighter one. And I, and I used to use two... I had this very strange kind of uh, way of holding the plectrum with, with uh, two fingers and thumb. And, uh, and I thought that, you know, it's time to go back to basics and learn uh, from your mistakes you've made over the last God knows how long. So I, 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 I now try and play in the, more, in the more kind of, you know, the way most people use a plectrum with just thumb and first finger. And um, and I, I persevered with that, and, and and that's what I do now. That's how I do it. And, so and you lost the middle finger. Yeah, the second finger is. Uh, I have to keep the nail really short on it because it's inclined to kind of uh, clatter into the strings because yeah. it's got nothing to do. Wow, <laughs> wow. What about um, recording experiences? What's your favorite ones? My favorite recording experience. Yeah, so I'm thinking about albums. I read an interview with Tom Hanks, and he was asked this question about his favorite movies, and he identified four movies, and they weren't the Saving Private Ryan's or anything like that. It was actually, well, it was actually movies where he had a good time. Oh, mm. um, and they were like they were nothing movies, you know, compared to the the blockbusters that he's had. Do you have? albums in your mind where whenever I ask you that question that you think I, I like I really liked that that period and that album as a consequence whenever you listen back to it brings you back to that space mm. yes I do actually I, I um, <clears throat> the Planksty album The Woman I Loved So Well is is one of my favourite albums and um, and I do remember I do remember uh, enjoying that not necessarily not not essentially my own playing on it but uh the fact that we we brought in um bill whelan to play on that uh to play the fender roads which is a lovely sound yeah and and he he took to it like a a, a doctor water like and and some of the things he played on that album i really liked and uh so all of that was was a really good experience that album and uh it was it was definitely a um, a development from from the, the the four piece band that we we had normally we had been, uh, and I think I think Donald and I were were kind of we we were really um, into expanding the band the band sound just a little bit, and we brought in another Casey as well on the fiddle. Um, and I I don't remember. Uh, what Liam thought of it, I think. Well, I'm sure he was uh, he was happy to have a, a traditional fiddle player, um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I really liked I liked that very much, and and it led on a little bit later to uh, you know when 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 Christie and Donal were no longer in the band. Um, and instead of breaking up, Liam and myself felt that we were left with with the remnants of of Planksty, just the two of us, and Bill. And we we sat around. We used to sit in around in pubs like uh, three times a week for about a month, thinking about how who who could we get into the band. And, and 
some people, some people uh, uh, chose themselves, like like Artie McGlynn, and he said, "Yes, I'm into that." And and uh, James Kelly, uh, who's lived in Florida ever since, more or less, uh, a great fiddle player. And we were trying to think of somebody, somebody, some other singer who also could play traditional music. And it was really hard to think of anybody until we suddenly thought, wow, why have we overlooked Dolores Keane, one of the greatest singers of all time? And uh, so we got Dolores into the band. And, and there were, so there was me and Liam and Bill and James and Artie and Dolores. It was a great lineup. And we did, we did a tour. Um, we did a tour in England, which, uh, well, yeah, I'm not going to comment on that actually at the moment. But uh, and and then we did a tour in Ireland, and then uh, nothing happened after that, and the band drifted away, and that was the end of it. But uh, but it was it was really rehearsal for that in Bill's house in in Ranla. Uh, I really enjoyed that. I really it, it, the music was 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 slightly differently structured. It had a slightly jazzier feel to it, and it's not it's not recalled by anybody. Like you know that that verse in the Planksty is is not is totally unknown by everybody, and I have a few recordings of it which I like very much. You're not releasing them. Um. Well, I. <sighs> Yes, I wouldn't mind, but there's not. I don't think there's probably not enough to to make to 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 make a whole album. The 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 um, anything any time we did record, uh, the recordings have mostly disappeared. You know, I've I've got about five or six, um, and yeah, I mean, if if I was if I was like Paddy. Glasgow. If I, if I had that kind of energy to do things, mm. I probably would find a way of, of putting them on something. Mm-hmm. But of course, for that, I need to get all the the uh, the, um, the the affirmative answers from the other people who were in the band, and uh, and I'm not sure whether I'm not sure. I haven't seen Dolores for for so long now. She uh, lives locally, I think, to here. Yeah. I'm sure she does. Yeah, yeah. 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 We used to see her all the time. We used to be on tour in Germany together for, yeah. for and when she lived when she lived in London with with John Faulkner, uh, uh, Mick Hanley and myself, who were a duo for a number of years in Europe, we'd always on our way to Germany or wherever we were going, we'd always stop there and have a, a, a great night of humour and good food, and uh, I remember that with great joy. John Faulkner, of course, the composer of Bagpuss. Was her what? Bagpuss. Do you remember Bagpuss, the TV program? Oh, yes, of course. Yes, yes, yes. He wrote the music for that? Yeah, he Mm. did, yeah. Yeah, before I knew him. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they were a great couple, and I was always sorry that they they didn't kind of stick together. I think they're still very good friends. I think John Mm. is still very aware of looking after. uh, Well, I'm sure sure every... I'm speaking on behalf of the whole world here, saying that we'd all love to hear those recordings, you know. So if you can take whatever you can, you know, out of this to make that happen, it'd be a fantastic thing to share with the world, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I might do. I, I do think of it sometimes, and then I think of something else. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll ping you with an email every so often. 
What other recordings are there? I mean, that was such a great memory there to hear that. So what other recordings in your history? Well, I tell you what, you know, the, the way that RTE started putting out um, musical things from the late, late shot. Mm-hmm. If you look on, if you look on um, uh, YouTube, there's a really, it, there are no microphones. So it was, a, it was a, except for Dolores, uh, and me and Bill, because we were singing harmonies, uh, and people have often have often made a comment that there's no there's, the microphones that there are don't seem to have any leads plugged into them. Mm-hmm. So it was it was singing to a backing track, but it's really great. It, it, it what is it? It's it's Dolores singing. Um, uh, oh, I don't know. I can't remember. Um, James Taylor. No, not James Taylor. What's, what's, what's that song? I can't think what it's called. Uh, I don't know. Somebody I'm, Taylor. I'm sure it's somebody I'm Taylor. just Googling. So Dolores Keane, Late Late Show. And uh, James Taylor. Let me just type in T-A-Y. Oh, William Taylor. William Taylor, yeah. There you go. Have you got it there? I've got it there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can put oh, a play link. It, play it, play it. Like it's sued by the RTE. Put it in full screen. So what are you saying, that the instruments aren't plugged in? Oh, you're playing the backing track? Yeah. And what is it about this performance that you're liking? Huh? What is it about this performance that you like? Well, I, it, 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 because it's rare, and, uh, and it was a moment that I really, liked, I really liked the music that we played. So it was that period? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I'll send the link, I'll put a link to that in the... Yeah, in, there's not yeah. much point in playing it... Uh, yeah. From the computer. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know. So, um, what about tours? I asked her and Shannon this question about um, how many gigs are there in her life or in a year whereby everything is right? So she was, she defined that question from the sound check to the green room, the experience of the green room, let's call it that. It's not like they had the, the right amount of M&Ms or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, how many of those gigs do you feel that you've had? Uh, that's a difficult one for me because sometimes you might have 90, 95% of a, a good gig. And that's kind of, you come off the stage feeling good about that. But really, I'd, I'd have to think about it, you know, I'd, gigs where you come off and you think, God, that was, that was brilliant. I was so good tonight. Mm. Um, I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not able to concentrate uh, at this moment on thinking about uh, when that last happened. But I mean, uh, the gigs I've played 
in the last month <clears throat> have all been kind of 95 percenters or 98 percenters or whatever you like, I've been very happy with them. But, uh, but I, I think they join a whole bunch of other similar gigs uh, and, and they, won't be, they won't be remembered. Uh, they won't be remembered as standout gigs. Because I mean, I'm I'm usually I'm I'm usually pretty good. I I, I uh, yeah I, I as uh, as a solo performer I'm I usually quite happy with myself. Mm. But um, really, really great gigs. Um, I, no, as I say, I'd have to I'd have to consider that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm but basically basically I'm, I'm happy with. Uh-huh. Most of the gigs I play. We're coming to the end of the interview with time. So I want to ask you, I stated your age. You're born in 42, so we know you're 81. And why do you still do it? Well, I ask myself that sometimes. I mean, uh, I, I look. I looked at my calendar recently for the summer and... There's not a lot happening in July and August, and I thought that's great. I, I hope, I hope it stays like that because if my agent rings me up and says, "Are you available on July the fifteenth?" I'd probably say yes, mm. and that will completely screw up the whole thing. And I do have a gig in Belgium uh, with a Swedish band I play with called Quilty um, on July the twenty eighth, which is. Uh, a little bit of a, a drag because it, it, it uh, I, I might have had two months off, and I, and I, I am of, of the feeling that I need to take some time off because I mean I'm yeah I'll be eighty two next June in June, uh, which is is fine, but it, it you know numbers do run out eventually, and uh, and there's a lot of places I'd like to go to and a lot of places I, I'd like to revisit. And I never seem to have uh, much time. I mean, I'm like, my wife is in, she's Japanese and she's in Japan at the moment. And I, I, I could go to Japan for a week. That would be okay. Um, but I'd like to go back to Australia. I was, I've just been there, but I'd like to go back and have a, a, a holiday, you know, a driving, a driving holiday. And, and uh, that takes a long time because it's a very big country. And if you want to drive across it, you, you, it'd take you a week. Uh, so actually having a month off I, I just decided I said okay I'm not going to work in August and I hope that'll be the case because uh, you know it, it, it would be just my, my luck that uh, my agent was offered a fantastic gig which I couldn't refuse and I think okay well next August <laughs> <laughs> How do you want to be remembered? Um, I think I'd like to be remembered as a as an honest man uh, and a hard-working man, and uh, and I'd like to be remembered as as being a, a great artist. <laughs> that you will. Well, we, I won't see. You will. I will. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. The day is short. 
<laughs> well, you never know, do you? We've both got to get to Limerick tonight. I'm going to see you tonight. Oh, I'm sure you are, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. and my kids are going to be with their friends, so that's why I couldn't see you last night. So I'm really looking forward to it. And it's a bit weird that me doing this interview, you know. Yeah, I'd forgotten uh, that you were actually going to come to Limerick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm really well, looking forward I'd, to it. Uh, try and be... On my best. Yeah, I'm expecting 98% tonight now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, lovely to talk to you, Fandor. Likewise, yes. I will say, Guru Mayogat. Tough on Tarot. Aye, very good. <laughs> Slam. This has been a Solid Hill Media original podcast and production. Great. And can you do a short one? So I'm Andy Irvin. I'll use that. That was-